accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our coverage of Deep Space Nine, we're up to Progress, which is episode 15 of season one. This one is directed by Les Landau, written by Peter Allen Fields. It aired back on May 9th, 1993. In this one, Kira deals with a stubborn farmer who refuses to leave his home when he's slated for destruction, or his home is slated for destruction, and Jake and Nog cooperate in a profit-seeking venture. We're joined by Amy. Amy, how are you? Hello. Your first Deep Space Nine episode. I know. You're very nervous. Big deal. Very nervous. And I'm concerned. But yeah, we're going to be talking about progress, which we just got done watching. Um, and this is kind of the, interestingly, this is like the first Star Trek to Deep Space Nine I've done with someone while Discovery has aired, which is kind of interesting. So it's like a totally tonal, total tonal different shift for me going forward. But uh, we will play an audio clip, and then me and Amy are going to come back and we're going to break down progress. I stowed away aboard a Cardassian survey vessel, which was making stops all through the Bajoran system. They were looking for possible mining sites. Anyway, when we got here to Gerardo, I overpowered the crew, and I stole whatever I'd need to start building a life here. You overpowered the crew yourself? There was only six of them. That was fortunate for me because I was somewhat weakened by the captivity and starvation. Anyway, here I was. The first person ever to settle on this moon. And the only trouble was that I didn't have any kind of farm implements. So, once again, Starvation and I were staring each other in the face. Yeah. I'm not boring you. No, no, I, I, I want to hear who won. Ah. All right, so, progress. We are up to episode 15 of Deep Space Nine, season one. Um, this one has Kira going down to a planet where she's going to try to save a farmer from his ultimate destruction at the hands of this drilling operation that the Bajorans are trying to do. And then we've got a Jake and Nog plot line. Um, I think, I, I guess kind of a good place to start off is the, like the structure of it. So what was the first thing you asked me when the episode was over? Well, I was just wondering if the, if the subplot was ever going to tie in or that was something that was on my mind, but it never did. But it was just, I guess, kind of like a lighthearted comic relief i guess from the heaviness of kira's story yeah i guess i mean i think that it's um it's something that's different from like the other series and i guess that would be the reason you would ask the question is just kind of like the ds9 does a better job of continuing the stories with characters as they go along so it's like a little tiny insights into things like this aren't really they don't seem like complete stories at the same time as other things because it feels like they're sort of they're building this character interaction and like the season is focused on the growth of like the Jake and Nog friendship and like what they get up oh, to in their okay. spare time and stuff like that. So this is kind of the um Maybe I'm thinking of it more as a um like a TNG. Yeah, like a TNG, sort of. exactly. Okay. I mean even even still it's kind of it's kind of unsatisfying their plot line. Um we both we both laughed because we thought that the I didn't re- really remember what they did. I thought when they traded their self-sealing stem bolts for land, I thought they were going to give the land to the farmer guy. Like um, they were going to be like, "We yeah. own this land on Bajor, and you can have it." And they would, they'd learn a lesson because they'd learn to be like, you know, nice to people, and they Nog would be upset because they wouldn't get a profit or whatever, like the, the kind of thing like that. But Nog would have never agreed to it. No, he just wanted latinum. He wanted he wanted five bars of gold plus pressed latinum, and I guess it's kind of charming in that the. Um, 
you see them, they're like, you know, they're young kids, so they're not particularly good at what they're doing yeah. in the trading type thing. And Although Jake had some pretty forward-thinking ideas about the value of land. Yeah. He understood. <laughs> he understood that you can build on it. It can, you can, the value can grow over time. <laughs> well, Nog had a good point. You can't build anything without bolts, which I guess is true, too. But, I mean, their thing, thematically, I guess their storyline just ties into the main storyline because the episode's called progress right so they're sort of like their mm-hmm. storyline is all about the progress of getting from point a to point b and then taking point b and moving into and point c making and stuff compromises. like that yeah compromises and um they're a very technical aspect of progress which it kind of ties into um and it doesn't really tie into the main storyline too much it's just more kind of an insight into the jake and nog uh relationship but i think it wraps up kind of silly with them just overhearing Odo talking to Quark about like the one thing that they could use to possibly get out of their yeah. situation. And you never actually see them make the money. They just kind of tell Quark about it. And I'd have to assume that Quark screws them over at some point, which would be so Probably. It probably would have been more realistic if they just had to hang on to this useless piece of land and just watch it depreciate over time. <laughs> right. It would have been a good life lesson. <laughs> it goes through a yeah, recession or something of the, of the 08 recession, the financial crisis. Okay, no one's buying real estate right now. Nog's retirement funds are wiped out and <laughs> everyone has to go back to working at the bar. Um but you said you didn't like the Ferengi. That was the other, the well, second I, thing. Yeah, I never liked the Ferengi. I mean, I maybe they grow on you over time, but every time there's a scene with a Ferengi, I just like roll my eyes. Well, would you think in particular? Would you think in because I thought there was a couple unique scenes here about the Ferengi where the Quark and Nog interactions were different from anything they've done here before. So the, the scene at the bar, you mean? Yeah, there's the scene at the start where he chastises Quark, uh, chastises Nog, and then like kind of feels bad about it and says he's a good boy. And then at the very end where they, he kind of realizes what they've done and they've put it together. Um, he's kind of like proud and Quark, annoyed Quark at is, the same time. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that Quark is... It's, it's, it's an interesting episode because it's kind of good for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Like a lot of characters get fleshed out, which is something that's funny watching Discovery right now. Um, I have like the whole nostalgia aspect of watching DS9 because you grow up with it and whatever. And you go back and you look in and you kind of, it settles in like a warm bath or something. Like you're very familiar with it and it's very comfort foody. Um, but the episodes do something that Discovery doesn't really do, which is it has episodes like this, which are purely character stuff. And like the characters actually get a lot out of very limited screen time in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Like Kira gets something out of this episode. Cisco gets something. I think uh, you get a little bit out of him. You get something out of the Bjorn farmer, Jake and Nog, you get something. And even Quark in his scenes, I think kind of fleshes out his character where he's not, you know, he chastises Nog for being, uh, he doesn't want him to be like his uncle Rom, who's Quark's brother, because Rom is the one who got all the yamak sauce in the first place, and he wasn't able to do anything with it. And Rom has kind of been portrayed as the Ferengi with like the the heart over his business dealings. Like he, he's more, um, he's kind of a disgraceful Ferengi in that in that way, at least according to Quark. And so I thought that the the stuff you get out of Quark, where Quark is trying to chastise Nog for, you know, doing something silly with the yamak sauce. And then he kind of feels regretful about it. And then it kind of ends with him. They don't really dwell on it, but they, they, they show the like appreciation for what Nog and Jake have done, I guess. So it kind of fleshes out the core character in a little bit of ways. You didn't think? You didn't, no, you didn't enjoy? No, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I, I definitely enjoyed the Kira storyline a lot more. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it did show, I don't know, if, if, the, if one of the themes of the episode is like, 
tensions within character, I guess, on like a much smaller scale in Quark's case. I mean, he's obviously trying to, you know, be somewhat of a role model. Or I guess he does what I, he loves his nephew, you know, even though he might not very be very good at showing it. Yeah. That as much as he's focused on just getting money and is just greed, there's also a side of him that cares. Yeah, and I think that they haven't they hadn't really shown that relationship with Nog to this point, which so I think is kind of a interesting episode. It was written by Peter Allen Fields, who's written a bunch of TNG and Deep Space Nine episodes, and he's kind of interesting in that he's very effective at writing um, stories about characters. He wrote Inner Light. Oh, and you wrote the Dax episode. He wrote Dax yeah. uh, for TNG. He wrote Half a Life, Cost of Living, and Inner Light. Inner Light and Half a Life, I think, are very good episodes. Cost of Living is not that good. But um, he wrote a bunch in DS9. He wrote Progress, Duets, and In the Pale Moonlight are kind of famous character um, episodes. So he's a very good writer at writing these kind of emotional character um, stories that, like, in the hands of a wrong writer, I think could be really sappy and (laughs) turn out pretty horribly. Um, Inner Light is probably one of the best, you know, 10 best episodes of of Star Trek in general. And... Um, this episode features, once you get away from the Jake and Nog storyline, it features the um, Kira storyline, which is her dealing with this farmer down on the planet. And I don't know, what do you think? I, I, I find the episode to not be terrifically exciting, but I think it's effective and I think it serves a purpose of fleshing out the characters, even if the story itself is not particularly great shake. So the, I do think it has a couple great moments. But what do you think overall? I really enjoyed watching the Kira storyline. Um, yeah, I didn't... You could... I, I thought the actor who played Malabak was, was good. A, pa- a patron mentions this, but um, <laughs> I'll bring it up now that he... I was thinking it too, and I, I laughed when I read the patron comment because we're going to read those after the uh, after we get done with our discussion, but he called him a, a poor, like a poor man's Anthony Hopkins. He does yeah. look like He does, look he like does kind of look like Anthony Hopkins, yeah. yeah. But he... he um, you... I mean, I, as a viewer, I liked him. So I could understand how how Kira was drawn to him, also. Um, so I thought I thought. Oh, sorry. What were you? Gonna no, no. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I just thought the show, the episode, did a good job of exploring kind of her evolution. I know I obviously don't watch the show consistently, but like her transition from I don't know, an extremist fighter, or freedom fighter for the Pajorans to being, you know, in a government position where she has to... She's know, the authoritarian, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the the burn... I thought, like, when, when she put the torch to his house, I thought it was a pretty poignant scene. I think the... Yeah, the ending is probably the... Like, it doesn't... The episode, I have to give it credit for, it doesn't end the way that you think it's going to. Like, she takes a pretty drastic measure at the very end. And I like the fact that it cuts after she says two to beam up like they don't show you the aftermath of like how their relationship or like even if he did he end up going up you don't really know i assume he does go up but i assume that he probably is not happy like we'd have to assume that he's not happy going forward with the rest of his life right i would think so he's either i mean i think you i think you could even you know consider that maybe he jumped into his burning house or like and didn't didn't go which which would be more in line with his character i mean i don't think he would just fold and go yeah i could have also seen the um a scene that it ends with he grabs her phaser and shoots himself with it like that that could be yeah. another thing from yeah. I, I think that the ending that they chose is really effective though and it's um 
like I don't know if you I guess I'll just sort of square the circle for you so Kira was raised on Bajor uh, she was born during this 50 year occupation by the Cardassians of Bajor where they like enslaved the planet and then strip mined all the um, resources out of it and left the Bajorans with nothing so the Bajorans ask uh, Starfleet for help when they get back on their feet and Starfleet obliges that's why everyone is there that's why the series exists and Kira is sent as a liaison from the Bajoran government to serve with the Starfleet on DS9 as like an intermediary between the Bajoran government and Starfleet. And so she has this whole history with the Cardassians. And then the the whole point of the plot is that the Bajorans need uh, to heat a lot of houses on their planet. Very SimCity kind of problem. Mm-hmm. And they um, they are going to drill one of their moons for energy. And the problem with doing this is that it's going to kill everything on the planet. And so they evacuate the planet. And this farmer is the one who wants to stay behind with a couple other people who are uh, survivors of the Cardassian occupation. He doesn't want to leave. So Scary mute people with pitchforks. <laughs> children of the corn sort of or something. Yeah. It's very, it's very, um, yeah, very antagonistic. He doesn't get into detail about why they can't talk either. It's, it's kind of a weird, I mentioned in an emissary, like the... The horrors, like the the series is telling you, like horrible things happen to the Bajorans, right? But you like the worst you see are like people don't talk, you know, like they seem fine in every other way, but they they don't. So traumatized. I get the impression that they did something to their vocal cords or like torture or something. Like there's some, yeah. I I thought it was more than trauma that was causing them to not talk, but but maybe that's my problem is that they don't seem when you see the Bajorans they don't seem particularly down yeah, they were like they were like laughing at dinner and yeah, stuff they're very, and... they're very chipper about it stuff even though all this horrible thing has happened so the the you know the problem for Kira is that she is forced to take part as like the Car- she's forced to become the Cardassian in this situation where she's sort of forcing someone else to do something that they don't want to do and it goes against everything that she fought for but her conflict is that now that she's a part of this, you know, the authoritarian side, um, whether or not she should do it or can do it. So did you think that the episode was like effective in explaining that? Or did you like, what, what was your sense of the Kira sort of characterization here? Do you think it makes sense for her to do what she did? Do you think that it was an effective story? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think the, the scene with Cisco was particularly good where he... Like very succinctly, and I don't. I like his character a lot. Um, again, sorry, I don't watch it. I don't watch his show a lot, but I thought that scene with him, while short, was like pretty effective acting. Um, where, you know, he's basically like, "This sucks." I I can, and he completely sympathizes with her plight. You know, he creates a you know a situation for her to stay there because he knows that she needs it mm-hmm. and that she needs to create any kind of peace that she needs to do before she does her duty which i think he knows deep down that she's going to do her job yeah he's Um, well he's he's interesting because the episodes early on here sort of like directly contrast him with picard in a lot of ways and then and while i can see picard sort of granting extending uh like sort of leave or changing the situation for people picard would be much more regulation bound than cisco is cisco sort of enjoys or if not enjoys he's he's much less like hesitant about bending rules or doing things like the thing with bashir where yeah, it's like yeah. you just tell me what to exactly do. yeah well picard never would have done that right that's not um, a picard yeah. crusher relationship so picard would have yeah. picard would have stuck to the regulations and it would have been more about the sort of 
I need to tell you what to do. Picard is always very good at telling other characters kind of like what to do and how they should react to it. And Cisco is different. Cisco leaves it up to Kira and he enables a situation where she's allowed to make her own decision. Yet at the same time, he leaves, sort of, leaves her with a really important lesson where he, you know, he tells her like you're, you chose to be on the other side now. And with that comes great sacrifices. Yeah. Um, and I think it, you know, it also shows kind of the, like there's a purity to Malabek's character, um, which is admirable, that he is so willing just to sacrifice his life for his beliefs, that it, it's black and white. Um, like he built his home, he basically developed that planet from the ground up. Still building with, it. Still yeah, building his, like, his kiln. Just, just, yeah, plowing with his fingernails. <laughs> Um, Although, is, is he an uh, unreliable narrator? Because his story of surviving and getting to the planet seemed well, think, like it was not well, I think that's Well, I think that's part of his charm. his charm. I think it's supposed to be kind of a tall tale, don't you think? So, yeah, I guess, yeah, that brings up how it's did he It's kind of like actually... an annoying grandfather where he's just like, you'll listen, you'll listen to my story. Well, like, the other day he, he killed six, I think he was saying the Cardassians were taking him. I think so, a, yeah, he overtook, prison, yeah, he, yeah, he overtook, he overtook the ship. <laughs> Even it, though he was starved and tortured. On a, um, on a, I was kind of a weird, um, just trying to figure out like the the sort of like if I were to pick flaws in the plot mechanics. I don't really understand how those people got to the Bajoran moon and the Cardassians just kind of let them live there. Yeah, in did a he, way. and did he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like why? Well, I mean, why wouldn't they just go up there and maybe capture just, them again? Yeah, or maybe they just figured they wouldn't survive since it seemed uninhabitable. Yeah, I, I, but there was no food. There was no water. They there was probably, no food. They probably yeah. just figured that they would waste away, but that's not. They hung on like fanatics, which is like what the Bajorans do. Yeah, I just I, I thought for for how like ruthless we've seen the Cardassians to be, it was kind of weird that they were just like, yeah, just let them live there. Because I think he said the two mute ones had been there for like seventeen years or something, and he had been there for four, if I'm remembering. Oh, okay, I, I missed the, the something timeline. like that. But um, but going back to the Cisco scene, I think he, I think, I think what your to your point, I think it is an effective episode for her character because. Now she has to come to terms with, like, the contrast to, to Malabak, where her beliefs are a lot less black and white. There's yeah. a lot of gray when it, you know, when you're in the position that she's in, where if you're going to help, you know, thousands of people on this planet, it's going to come at a sacrifice, and it always does. Yeah. Um, you don't really have to think about that if you're a freedom fighter, because you're just fighting for your mission. Right. At all cost. Um, and there's a purity to that where I, I think she's lost that. And that like is a big is a big loss for her. And you can like see it at the end of that episode where she knows that she's lost Malabak, you know, or either he kills himself or he's never going to speak to her again. Yeah. If he goes, you know, so yeah, I think yeah. that's it was a lose lose for her, basically. Um, yeah, I think she's being put in like the ultimate political decision right like there's no really good options in what you want to do like the and i think that the the episode does a good job of the the conflict itself is seems pretty you know to me seems very cut and dry like he, he's saying that there are hundreds of thousands of people who are depending on this moon so you know in the, in the sort of like the goods of the many outweigh the needs of the few you don't really this guy doesn't really have an argument like He's being taken off this planet one way or another. Yeah, right? and I like, think, there's no way he can stay. I think Kira gets that. Yeah. But I think when she looks at him, she sees like the fighter that she used to be. 
Yes. You know, they're, they're both fanatical. And she probably had a healthy dose of fanaticism in her prior to her, like, post right now. Yeah. You know, that she can, that, that's familiar to her, that, you know, is admirable to her. And that's how the Pajorans continue to be. Yeah. So I think, you know, in a way, she probably feels like she's, like, killing off part of her, like, she's killing her own. Right, in sort of a literal and yeah. figurative way. I think that the it's important to know her backstory here. It's important to know that, like, the Cardassian relationship to her, like, why this is a difficult uh, storyline for her, because it's a story that really wouldn't work in any other context unless you had all of this backstory going for the characters, because if it's just about whether or not you should take this guy off the planet, that's not a very interesting story, because it's like, obviously, these three people should be taken off the planet to enable you know, hundreds of thousands of people to survive the winter on Bajor or whatever. So what they have to do is make it not really about how you're going to get them off the planet, but like the emotional journey of realizing that what you're doing has turned you into the enemy in some kind of a way, like the good of the people at large is going to cause some people to have to suffer, which like you were saying is like the opposite of the freedom fighter movement where everything, everything that they consider to be doing is probably for the good of Bajor. Mm -hmm. And now she's in the political, like once you, once you take, once you've done the easy, you know, quote unquote, easy part of fighting your resistance fight, how do you actually govern when that's done with? And I think that the, the episode does a good job of balancing that. And while it's never in doubt that he's going to leave the planet, it's all about the journey of coming to the, how you get to that emotional state where you're going to take him away, I suppose, at the very end. Yeah. I'm sure knowing Kara's backstory would make, would make this you know, would under would help me understand her character though. But I do think that the writing for this episode is strong enough that it could stand alone. I mean, for me, I mean, even not knowing, I mean, I don't know what happened to Kira's family. Does this guy remind her of her father who was killed or grandfather or something? Um, doesn't really matter because, you know, I could her acting enough and and that like the way the show was written, um, helped me see like her pain and her struggle yeah which was enough for me yep yeah yeah I, I just um i think it's a it's a it's a good episode because it takes the the plot that what they've sort of what they've given you for the nuts and bolts of the plot is augmented by everything that's going on with the series which is something that the series hasn't actually been very good at doing to this point it's like a lot of the scripts have been tng castaway scripts that they didn't want to film for tng and they just stick them in the deep space nine that doesn't oh. really work but this is this is an episode that was like clearly built for the show. You know, like it makes use of all the stuff that's going on in the series. It makes use of all the character backstories. It gives you a plot that only makes sense with these characters. Like if you did this in a TNG episode, it wouldn't work yeah. at all. They'd have to add some kind of thing to why he wouldn't be able to leave or something like that. Um, yeah, and then it ends, you know, fairly darkly. For it. It's a fairly dark, dark ending for something that you feel is going to pick up at the end. She burns down his house. She shoots his kiln. And then, uh, you know, says that we have to, everyone has to move forward. At this point, she's sort of saying that she has to move forward by accepting her responsibility. He needs to move on with his life about he has to leave this moon and go back. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about this one? No, I don't think so. I thought, I thought the ending was pretty powerful. I was actually kind of surprised and impressed that it ended there because I was expecting us to go to have like Kira and Cisco like chatting on the ship or something and like hashing out how she felt about it just to kind of like hit the point home, which is sometimes what would happen with, yeah. um, 
you know, next gen. I actually thought that she was going to convince him to go and he would be, he would go at the at the very end. I hadn't seen this episode in a long time. I thought yeah. that she was going to somehow, you know, when she shoots the kiln, he would be like, oh, like that's the moment that he's like, oh, you're right. Like everything here is just like my past and I need to move forward. It doesn't happen that way. It, it ends on a very dark note. Yeah, or even I like I what I even thought was like even more likely was that she would get that he wanted to just die there and that she would have left him. Right. Yeah. Um, which So would you have left Molenok? What is his name? Molbeck? Molbeck. Molbeck. Would you have left Molbeck on the planet or would you have uh done what Kira did? I mean, it'd be hard to leave someone Next to their burning house and kill him. I, I mean, I'd, I'd probably do what Kira did and try to bring him back just to give him a fighting chance to see if he changed his mind. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, who knows? It's, but I, it wasn't yeah, his but, choice, though. He wanted to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess that the, the whole rationale for needing him is that they, they can't just kill... Yeah. In, in Starfleet's mind, it would be better just to sort of forcefully remove him from the planet than start drilling and kill him. Um, and so I guess they do that there. But I don't think we ever touch in with that character again. For Like, I wouldn't expect to ever see him again. No, I think it's more effective just to have it in there. Because yeah. I think it's pretty clear that it's they're going to have a severing. Maybe he can... Uh, Build a new home with the self-sealing stem bolts on Bajor, and he can be happy. Yeah, hopefully, with... yeah. Things might be looking up for him. <laughs> <in Bajor. laughs> yeah, he can uh, have some yamak sauce and all that stuff. What is yamak sauce? Is it like Tabasco? Cardassian barbecue sauce, I think. Basically, I don't and know it's if like they disgusting. ever. Yeah, no one, no one else really likes it, but the Cardassians love it. And apparently, apparently, it's expensive, so it's probably different than um, barbecue sauce. Maybe it's a special kind of barbecue sauce. Um, but that's it. Me and Amy are going to uh, play an audio clip. Then we're going to come back. We're going to give patron thoughts. We'll give our final thoughts. And then we'll wrap it up. So you chose your uniform over me, after all? That's not true. The time I've spent here with you has meant so much to me. But it's over. It's time we went on with our lives, mine and yours. You say you're my friend. Prove it. Use that weapon on me. If I leave here, I'll die. No, you won't. I won't let you. Two to beam up. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that clip. We're going to be reading uh, patron thoughts now. If you guys support the show on Patreon.com, you go to Patreon.com slash The Penske File, you can give a couple dollars a month. You get extra podcasts and extra content, and you also get the ability to comment on upcoming episodes of the show, and you get your comments read uh, live here, and we can react to them. Um, So if you guys go to Patreon.com and you support the show, you'll have a post on our page where that'll list out all the episodes that are upcoming, and you guys just leave a comment there, and you'll get them read. So we're going to go through it now. Progress. Clever Orbits writes, Progress was heart-wrenching and sad and surprisingly potent for the first season of any show, though it could only have been done here of all the Trek series. DS9 above all, except Discovery, which does this too and maybe even better, is about consequences and the layers of meaning created through ongoing experience, relationship, and choices. Um, I'd agree with all that except 
Discovery because I don't like Discovery, uh, sort of. But you haven't watched any of the Discovery, have you? I watched uh, the first two episodes, I think. Yeah, the first two. And um, I don't know. I, I, DS9, I agree that DS9 does that the best of all the Trek series because it's the most... It's the most about consequences simply because everyone is on a station. Um, the, the location never changes, so the characters, like, the, what they do actually remains with them. They can't just fly off at the end of the episode. And this is kind of that example of what DS9 does fairly well um, at some point, at a certain point. This episode's pretty good, and then moving forward, they start to get better at it. Um, do you want to read Kyle Barrett's? Sure. Progress. I remember not liking this episode, but on rewatch, it was a pleasant surprise. Despite some overacting early on, the episode is a big step forward for Kira's character, and she plays off the Anthony Hopkins lookalike guest star really well. I do kind of wish it was more of a bottle episode focusing purely on Kira to up the emotional intensity of the finale, but I did enjoy Nog and Jake's MacGuffin swapping schemes despite the change in tone. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I understand why the Jake and Nog story is there to kind of lighten things like otherwise it would i think the episode actually might be worse if that storyline wasn't there and you spent that all that time with kira because i think the um what happens down there isn't that complicated you know so you'd, you'd really just sort of draw out the scenes that you have there there's no way to sort of add more plot mechanics to it it would just be about more talking about the same thing and i I almost hit my limit of the episode and the amount of times that he was just telling stories kind of thing. Like it's kind of his character beat is that he's kind of this goofball who tells these sort of tall tale type things. But I I was sort of running out of patience with it by the end. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's good to have like a diversion. Um, and it did make the episode move pretty quickly. Yeah. It it didn't, it never felt like it dragged at all. Yeah. And it's obviously Um, just, it's calm. It is a change in tone. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a weird comedy plot line to have in a darker episode, but, I, didn't I did. Mind it. I giggled too in the scene, just talking about like a comedic effect. Was when Dax and Kira were were doing like recon to make sure that everyone had evacuated and their boy talk. Yeah, their boy talk was kind of funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> you had me show was, you a picture of Morn. Yeah, I really I wanted to <laughs> wanted to see who Morn was. <laughs> and, all right, and then lastly, you can read it. It's uh, uh, Matthew Ross. Progress always elicits Harry Randall Truman from Mount St. Helens eruption. Damn, I'm getting old. You ain't getting me off this here mountain or moon. Get off my lawn and kiln. And I also think it's a great question of... Direct question. Oh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. A direct question of... Star Trek. Of Star Trek in general. There is an ST there. <laughs> Maybe he's deliberate. Yeah. She's blind and reading by Braille and they didn't print out for I'm so tired. Our son's been sick. We haven't been sleeping. Do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Or more directly, did the ends justify the means? So should we hold up the millions on Bajor for one guy? And maybe it's also an announcement as we get older, we all become the man. I like that point at the yeah. end. It's, um, I guess you could see it as an aging metaphor, uh, which would be Peter Allen's field strength because he did the inner light, which is all about aging too. But um, yeah, I, I think it is It is about just be, you, the passionate dreams of youth kind of get replaced by the sort of like, well, you got to pay the bills. Like this is the kind of stuff that has to go on and we have to do you know, it might not, especially, I guess, once you have kids, it's more about, like, what's better for the the whole than it is for me. Um, sort of that, like, removal of a level of narcissism as you get older. And I think the the episode kind of touches on that in a lot yeah. of ways. Ironically, because the old, or not ironically, but oddly, because the, the guy is old and Kira um, is the younger one. But I guess it's about her coming of age story. 
And I think him, but I think also it's a good point on how I do think in some ways people circle back to become a little bit more egocentric as they get older in terms of just trying to. In terms of Mullaback, you mean? Yeah, and like symbolizing like this is my legacy or like this is what this is what I I believe in. Sure. You know, even if I'm even if I'm holding like thousands of people like basically hostage for not having any heat or like yeah. right. I mean, this Mo- is this is for this is my thing. Yeah, I mean, I because it is it is a selfish outlook um, in many Mo-Bak's ways. Mo a very selfish yeah. character, right? Like yeah, because he- you, you you sympathize with him a lot, but when you think about what he's doing, he's putting his own people in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the episode doesn't really push that on him. No, Akira is never about like like you have to you know what are you doing to the hundreds of thousands? And it, it's odd that he never has a reason why he. He basically, the only reason he doesn't care is because he's like, well, the moon is my home now. I don't live on Bajor anymore. He doesn't really have a reason for not liking the Bajoran people. Yeah, he's almost become more like Mullabak than Bajoran. Yes, he's almost become like his own race. He's sort of been away from them for long enough that he kind of forgets everything about it. Or even, or he's probably just been, I mean, I don't know if the Cardassians have dehumanized or, you know, have, you know stripped away a sense of identity and culture like if they're supposed to be kind of this like nazi-esque race um that you know malbec is just a a victim of that but yeah you don't he doesn't he he, he's never challenged to examine the selfishness of his choices yeah um at all which yeah good point matthew ross all right, guys. So this is where me and Amy give our final thoughts and we give a rating. So do you want to go first on a scale of one to five? What is it the same rating one? system as it's TNG? TNG. Um, I think I'd give it like a like a three point five or a four. I mean, I thought it was pretty strong. I mean, it's still this first season. That was that was my first question when I asked you: Is this still the first season? I think in comparison to, um next gen the first season which is just like trash yeah this is a pretty strong episode and um how dare you talk about next generation though i you know i like next generation <laughs> i did not like the first season but i i really like cisco's scene that like that scene with cisco and kira makes me just want to watch the show more for mm-hmm. more of that um so I, i'd give it like a high three low four yeah i think i'd i, I think i'd give it a high three three i don't know if it's a four on my scale because a four is like a, an episode you'd show to somebody like you'd be like oh you should watch this deep space nine episode you you, you would i mean yeah. i enjoyed it and i don't watch deep space nine yeah I, I think that's true i think it's um yeah I, I think it's more just me potentially knowing that there's room to improve a little bit i, th- I think i'd say it's a very good episode and it's a very good episode for the first season yeah. which has actually been pretty weak um all things considered but it's a it's a strong three it's probably a top five episode of the season um i don't know where it would rank in that five but it would be in there and yeah i think it's 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 an enjoyable solid episode that there's nothing really wrong it makes you think a little bit um and it's good for all the characters and all that jazz. It makes me appreciate too that I think the just the foundation of DS9 is just a pretty compelling idea. How would you describe if I were to tell you this? I'm not saying this is true or not, but if I were to say this is a typical Deep Space Nine episode, how would you compare it to TNG? What would you say the difference between the series is? Well, there just seems to be a little bit more complexity to the DS9 world. Mm-hmm. Where 
I get nervous because I know a lot of people that listen to your show are like big, big Trek fans. So excuse me if I'm oversimplifying things, but like the next gen shows were typically, you know, Picard and his crew would set out, you know, and come upon a place. Um, usually the prime directive would play a part and it would usually end kind of with the enterprise intact and then they would be sailing off to their next adventure. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Deep Space Nine, it's kind of this muddled, complicated mission from the outset where, you know, Cisco's an outsider, Kira's an outsider. There's a lot of just like people kind of having to operate in this world that is out of their comfort zone yep. in many ways. Um, no one really set out to be at Deep Space Nine. It was something that like they have to do, which yep. is different from the world of the Enterprise. Where, where like, everyone wants, where, to, yeah, be everyone wants to be yeah. there. It's like they're all heroes in their own eyes because this is their ultimate goal. So I think that's a strength of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and, and the way that Cisco is a commander um, shows that where he, you know, it can't, like you were saying, it can't be by the book because they're kind of writing the book as they go. Yeah. Um, They're on the frontier. Yeah, which is a, which is a difference with the with next generation. Yeah, I think it's um, I mean, I think that the TNG is much more. I, someone wrote an article recently that I enjoyed just because they, well, I disagreed with them. They were writing about Discovery. They called TNG a philosophical procedural, which I thought was a good description of what TNG is. Um, and Deep Space Nine is much more of a, um sort of getting into what the actual like federation means in a lot of ways and it does more stuff like this where it's character digging into a character as opposed to the cast of tng is always working together to be one whole like you you know you have all the characters in tng kind of complete each other to be like one super character and deep space nine is different than that it doesn't really do that um even in the way that Cisco kind of stays out of the way here, he still put, he inserts his opinion, but he leaves whatever is going to be up to whatever's being done up to Kira at the very end. But that's it, guys. Yeah, that was well said. Thank, I agree. <laughs> well, thank you, Amy. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you. It's the uh, first time I've said that to him all day. I, <laughs> um, I think we're done here, so I'm going to give it a three. Amy would give it a four. Well, um, I have a three point five. All right, three point three point five four. Um, that's it guys thank you very much for listening hope you're enjoying the show we're going to be getting back into the swing of things with deep, uh, deep space nine i know we've been off a little bit um every time i say deep space nine i kind of feel like my teeth whistle or something i, I don't know if that's uh, actually happening but I, I have to call it just ds9 i think that's an easier way to go um the <laughs> we're going to be getting back into ds9 after discovery and the discovery threw more of a wrench in the works than i thought it would i think the regularity of like a late sunday night review throws off my week in a lot of ways like it's hard to recover from the the late sunday um but discovery will be on a break we'll get back into ds9 and continue on because it's nice to get back into ds9 after discovery um so there'll be more regularity with the shows going forward and all that jazz anyway if you want to follow us on social media you can go into the video description below or you can go into the uh, podcast description there's all the facebook twitter blah 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 all that junk as I mentioned at the start of the little section, if you go to patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can support the show. You get extra content, you get extra podcasts, and you get the chance to sort of add your voice to the podcast um, by leaving comments about upcoming shows. We've got a bunch of good ones coming up. So if you haven't done it yet and you're a patron, go over to the post on Patreon, leave your thoughts, leave your comments, and you'll get uh, read out on the show. And last but not least, the highest tier of Patreon supporters, one of their perks is that they can get their name read on the show. 
It's Stephen Cobb, Ben Douglas, Tax Owlbear, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Vincent Adultman, Tark Latif, Matthew Ross, and Mike Burnett. Thank you very much, guys. You make the show possible. And um, I think that's it, right? Are we done? I think so. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And, um, well, Amy, thanks for coming on, I guess I should say that, too. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry your other guests had to call out sick. I know. <laughs> Clay came down with horrible diarrhea or yeah. something. Right? Yeah, I'm really sorry. Down. He'll be back soon, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> but, guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.